everyone, this is a Waiting in the Sky review episode, and today I am going to be taking a deep, spoiler-filled dive into Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 1. Uh, so if you have not watched the new season yet, or if you haven't finished it yet, and you don't want to be spoiled, um, don't worry. Uh, you still have an option. Uh, I would refer you to our last episode. That's episode 208 of the main show. On that episode, I uh, not only give my own non-spoiler impressions of uh, the first three episodes, which I had seen at that point, um, but I also had on some amazingly knowledgeable, passionate guests from the Scoops Ahoy podcast, dedicated Stranger Things podcast, Colin and Whitney, and uh, they gave uh, some really great takes and some really great impressions uh, without any spoilers about the full first seven episodes of this season. So. If you are wanting to, to get that review, but without all the spoilers, definitely check that out. If you don't care about spoilers or if you've already seen it and you just want to hear a little bit more, this is the episode for you. So stick with me here. Uh, before I get into all of that, I just wanted to also mention uh, that we also covered uh, The Boys. So The Boys had a premiere episode of season three this past week. And uh, I had a couple of guests on episode 208 to also talk about the boys and uh, give our takes on the top five characters of the show. And, uh, we, you know, we didn't think that was good enough. So we ended up going with two top five lists, and that was the soups and the non-soups top five lists. So definitely check that out if you uh, are a fan of the boys. If you have not watched the boys, definitely check it out. It's, a, it's an awesome show. It's great especially in the modern day in the era of you know the marvel cinematic universe and everything it, it definitely goes a different direction and uh, i think it's something that if you like superhero movies and you like to uh, would like to kind of see someone take a couple shots at it um, kind of parody it a little bit um, and just like a really dark contrast i think that uh, it's definitely something that might be up your alley so i'd recommend that as well but uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this review of Stranger Things. Uh, I figured the best way to kind of break this down is by the uh, location storylines. Um, so if you are familiar with this season at all, you'll know that there's a kind of there's a few different settings. Most of the time we've seen the show just kind of take place in Hawkins. Uh, this season, they have everyone a little bit more spread out with some separate storylines kind of going concurrently. And so I think that's kind of the best way to, to get into this review and share some thoughts in general is kind of focus on those different settings, the different storylines happening there and the characters that are involved in those storylines as well. So we have um, obviously Hawkins, what's going on in the town of Hawkins. Uh, we have the California storyline with uh, the Byers families and, and uh, L Eleven. I almost called her Ellen, 11, uh, moving to California uh, at the end of the last season. We also have uh, the Russia storyline with Hopper, uh, who was imprisoned in Russia, and there is a plot to get him back. Um, so that's going on as well. And then we also have the Hawkins Lab storyline um, that kind of bookends the the, these first seven episodes where we start off with the opening and then we kind of get the reveal kind of sprinkled throughout as well. And some just some revelations that are, are ultimately setting up a big finale here. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's how I'm going to get into this uh, without let's let's uh, go into the Hawkins storylines to start things off. Seems like a logical point to jump in at. 
So I think the biggest thing is that these uh, these killings are happening, um, and we're seeing traumatized teenagers, traumatized young people. They're the high school students that are being targeted, and um, the first target that we actually see is is this character Chrissy. And to my knowledge, she's not been introduced prior to this season, so she's kind of a brand new character, but kind of the you know the cheerleader who you know has suffered her own kind of trauma but she's hiding it you know with that kind of homecoming queen exterior that that's being put out there and that so we we get a lot of chrissy in the first episode we kind of get her character set up a little bit um her boyfriend jason is like the the star jock who gives just a cringeworthy speech at a pep rally I, i'm like people do not talk like this <laughs> I immediately did not like this guy so mission accomplished stuff for bros um and Chrissy's the first, but there, there's ultimately, I believe, three successful killings of teenagers. Um, we get Chrissy, we get Fred, and then I'm totally forgetting the uh, third one, the, the guy on the basketball team. We really didn't get much from him. Aside, he was just kind of like one of Jason's basketball team lackeys, and then he was targeted. So <laughs> obviously super memorable. But um, Chrissy, I think, was pretty memorable. I, I think in the very limited time that we spent with that character uh, was fleshed out pretty well. She has this interaction with Eddie, who is a, a new character for this season. Um, and Eddie is kind of like the the prototype burnout, like heavy metal. Um, but he also leads the Hellfire Club, which is their D&D club. So definitely like a nerdy kind of guy. And uh, he He's a he's a drug dealer. <laughs> he doesn't seem to be like a you know a very prolific one, but you know a low level drug dealer who gets in at the high school kind of thing. And Chrissy seeks him out because she's looking for some sort of relief from just the the haunting that she's experiencing from this the season's big bad, which is Vecna. And they have this really sweet moment out in the woods where you really kind of see them playing against their stereotypes. And they I think I thought it was great character building for. Not only Chrissy, which was super important because this is the only time we see her, but also for Eddie, who is a significant character in this season that they've introduced. And so I think that was a great way for them to really introduce him and to paint a, a really strong picture of, of who he is as a person uh, beyond just that that stereotype. And so Eddie is, is a character I, I really like. I, I thought there was a not only that nice moment with Chrissy, but the way he's interacted with with Dustin and uh, the rest of the the kids in in the Hellfire Club, and also later on with Steve as well. He just seems like a genuinely like good guy, and uh, I think that's something that we needed. So he ultimately is uh, trying to help Chrissy. She comes over to his trailer park, which is where he lives, where Max lives as well. Um, Max sees her entering um, his home and then she is targeted and killed by Vecna. Eddie freaks out, runs away, and that's kind of the big inciting incident for this season. Um, and just absolutely brutal killings, like just super graphic and in, in a way that we haven't really seen from this show before. Um, and I know that was a big thing coming into it is that this was supposed to be, you know, a lot darker, a lot grittier and, and you know, realistic things like that. And uh, I, I thought that was a good way to really get the the season rolling and really just set up this villain as as being a substantial threat in a way that we've not really seen before. It's you know, they're not kids anymore, so you need to really challenge them because we saw them as kids, 
you know, taking on the Demigorgon and, you know, Shadow Monster, that type of thing, where it's a little bit more abstract. This is much more intimidating, threatening, violent. Um, so I think it, it totally works overall. This also leads to Jason uh, and his group of jocks um, looking for Eddie. And that's kind of a, a thing that continues through the first, well, all of these episodes, I guess, but it, it kind of shifts in and out of focus. I get the point of Jason as being kind of that, you know, jock bully kid who is just supposed to be antagonistic without being like the villain and just add a little bit more tension. I think he accomplishes that. Um, it's just like, you know, I hate every time he's on screen, if I'm being honest. Uh, just It's like, this is a guy I don't like, you know, I wouldn't want to hang out with this person. Um, I can totally understand, you know, his grief and in the way he's trying to, you know, do justice for Chrissy in a lot of ways. But I also think it's also like do justice for himself and like this sort of self-righteousness that I really just don't like in that in that character. And, and I think, again, it's all intentional um, from his speech at the pep rally to his speech later on at like the town hall meeting where he's interrupting the the police and just like forming a mob. Um, I, I think he accomplishes what the character was written to do, but I just do not like that guy at all. Yeah. So then the, the, the kids, the group of kids, it ends up being um, Nancy, Max, Dustin, Steve, Robin, um, Lucas joins them as well. Lucas, who interestingly enough, you know, he is now on the, basketball team he ends up hitting like the game winning shot um and so he 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 says in the first episode you know he's this is his way into like the popular crowd and he's trying to get uh you know dustin and mike to play along with him and you know it's like hey i do this and then you guys come along with me and then we'll be cool and then they're like well we're not cool and he's like yeah but we can be and you totally get that i think they do a, a really great job of kind of painting that you know high school stereotype like you know what it looks like to try and move clicks you know jump clicks sort of thing and that social stratification there and so i think that's it's interesting because it does create a little it does remove lucas a little bit from the rest of the group creates a little bit of tension there um he ultimately ends up you know being loyal to his friends and who he has experienced so much with you know obviously his best friends but then when you go through all this traumatic the traumatic events that they have been through in the show thus far, it makes sense that he would be loyal inside with them as well. So they are protecting Eddie, hiding Eddie, you know, and, and ultimately going to team up with him to try and take down uh, the big bad who's Vecna. Nancy is a character who who's featured heavily in the Hawkins storyline. Uh, I think it's interesting because in the first episode, we, we kind of see that there's tension in all of the romantic relationships that we saw um, previously. And uh, so with Nancy and Jonathan, they are now living in separate places. Jonathan's in California. Nancy is in Hawkins. And, uh, you know, we just hear that Jonathan's not going to come for spring break when he was planning on it. They don't talk as often. And we see both sides of it. And you don't really know at first what the what the issue is, but you see the just kind of tension. They're both kind of it's weighing on both of them. We also see um, a little bit of tension between Mike and Eleven. Same kind of thing. I think the distance is making it harder for them um, and they don't quite understand. I think the intricacies of a relationship, especially at their young age. Um, so there's a little bit of tension there. Eleven's also going through a lot and trying to hide it um, so as not to make Mike feel like she is you know, in hell, which she kind of is, um, being tortured 
basically bullied torturously uh, by people in, in her school. Uh, we also see like Lucas and Max. There's a tension there. Uh, Max has kind of removed herself entirely over like her grief with Billy. And I think that Max, I'm just going to say this. I think Max is the standout of these first seven episodes. Um, and I think it's almost enough to to carry her as the standout of the entire season, you know, depending on where things go with these last uh, you know, mega sized episodes. Um, I think that Sadie Sink really stands out as an actress. She gives really powerful performances. Um, episode four, which really focuses on Max as a character when she's targeted by Vecna, uh, really gives her a chance to shine as well. Get some moments with Lucas there um, that really kind of show them reconnecting and rekindling what what was there. And, and as Max kind of confronts her grief um, through her confrontation with Vecna. And she writes those letters and, and uh, I'll touch on this here as well, where she's writing those letters. She has one for Lucas. Lucas, I, I really like this moment where he says, I don't want a letter like I, I, I want you. I'm right here. Talk to me. Um, and I, I totally understood where this is coming from, because it's like. It's hard to have those conversations, and she had a lot of things to say, and she knew that she wanted to say these things if she potentially, you know, didn't make it through. Uh, being targeted, but it still was scary to potentially have those com- types of conversations and the impact that it would it would have. Um, and so that was a really nice moment, I thought, for sure. But at the beginning, we, there is all this tension. I think the only real exception is Joyce and Hopper. Um, but that's just because Hopper's in prison in Russia. Uh, like, I, I think that's really funny is that that's really the only exception of the romantic relationships that we saw in the last season um and it's because he's literally you know across the globe in a prison um and she's trying to find him um so nancy max uh, dustin also a part of that crew out there um we get a lot you know kind of typical dustin stuff here still as lovable as always um i i also really loved the max and dustin interactions i touched on this in in our last episode with scoops ahoy i i think it really just works because max has this like kind of angsty sarcastic nature to her and dustin is this just kind of like pure-hearted you know like happy happy go lucky kind of you know pure soul (laughs) and so for them to interact there was a scene where uh, Dustin's trying to get Max to, to join the Hellfire Club to play uh, D&D with them. And she like played along like she was uh, totally on board and he didn't understand that she was being sarcastic. It, it's just a great moment. I loved that. I, I would have liked to have seen more between the two of them. Um, those two and Lucas kind of like teamed up as a trio later on in these episodes. And I liked that dynamic. I, I think that pure Max Dustin dynamic works, though. Um, and I would have liked to have seen more. We also get uh, the Steve and Dustin interactions where it's still their same kind of relationship that we love to see. Also have the quintessential them sitting in the car moments as well and a little bit of banter back and forth. I thought that was great. Uh, Speaking of Steve, you still get Steve the babysitter moments, Um, but now there's also the interesting like Nancy, Steve, Jonathan love triangle. but we also don't really see Jonathan and Nancy interact. So it's it's crazy, but they're definitely building it up that way, that it is a love triangle. And you see Robin hinting at it. You see uh, the moments between Nancy and Steve as well. And we've also obviously seen the 
kind of struggle that both Nancy and Jonathan are feeling with their relationship. So I'm curious to see where that ends up. I kind of have a sinking feeling that someone's not going to make it out uh, of that trio. Um, And I think it's probably going to be Steve, unfortunately. I think think they're building it up that way, um, that Steve is not going to make it out of this season. And I don't know. That's just kind of my gut feeling. Um, but I've loved what I've seen of him. And, you know, just as kind of endearing as always, his relationship, uh, not only with Dustin, but also with Robin um, is great. I'm glad to have Robin back. I'm glad that they were still working together um, and allowed them to be kind of besties at work. And to see that carry over into this season is fantastic. They're now at a, a, a family video instead of the Scoops Ahoy ice cream shop. Uh, speaking of Robin, I, I think she also gets a chance to interact with some more characters, notably Nancy. So they get to team up and they're investigating Victor Creel, who is a man who was, um, I, I believe he was, he was placed in an institution um, and charged with like murdering his family and like cutting their eyes out. <laughs> and it turns out obviously that, that this was uh, Vecna. And so they noticed the similarities between Vecna's killings and what was described in the Creel murders. So they went and investigated that. A um, lot of really great Robin Nancy moments in this season, too. I already touched on Lucas. Uh, and then Eddie, again, is a really welcome addition, in my opinion. Uh, I have liked what I've seen from him as a character. I thought it was a really cool moment where they all kind of like did this recap chat and they kind of filled him in. Robin was like, oh, yeah, you know, like we've done this before. Like, well, I've only done it once, but they've done it a bunch of times. And I thought that was hilarious. It definitely got a laugh out of me in the moment. Um, But excited to see you know, what they end up doing with Eddie as well. So that's kind of the Hawkins crew, the the group that's generally taking um, their events happening in Hawkins. Let's shift gears a little bit to California. Um, so we start off in California. Kind of the main thing is we see Eleven being bullied. Um, and it ends up being something that ties back to her experience in the Hawkins lab. And so we see that again through flashbacks when she is training to regain her powers. Um, but there's just this kind of parallel of her being bullied as a child in that facility to now her being bullied at this California high school. Um, Angela is just the absolute worst person uh, ever. And, you know, it was kind of satisfying to see her get hit with a roller skate in the face, Um, which leads to Eleven getting arrested, which leads to her then being taken to uh, Nina uh, to be trained and get her powers back. That kind of sets up her whole thing. So you get the the Mike and Eleven thing. So Mike does go to California to visit Eleven, um, but then Eleven gets arrested, and so they're quickly separated. We don't see a whole lot of those two together, um, but we do see a, a good amount of Mike and Will together. And so Will is very clearly uh, in love with Mike, and they set it up. I mean, there's subtle moments, I think, in earlier seasons that kind of hints at this, but then we also get very obvious moments early on in this as well. Um, just in, in, in their interactions, kind of the longing looks, we see like there's a girl in class that kind of is trying to like flirt with Will at one point, and he kind of like pulls away and is like, what are you doing? Um, so like his sexuality and the fact that he's probably gay is um, very heavily hinted at here in this first half. And then uh, fr- from what I've heard, it, they are going to completely reveal um 
a little like what his sexuality is, I guess, in the second half of this season. Um, but at this point, it's pretty much obvious. Uh, so there is a little bit of tension between Mike and Will because Mike is, I mean, they're, they're you know, they're young guys. Um, and so there is kind of just like, you know, the different expectations where he, Mike has the expectation that Will is supposed to be like his friend. And then now he's, you know, Mike is now focusing some of his energy on his relationship with Eleven. But Will, you know, not only wanting his friendship with Mike, but also potentially wanting more is you know, feeling neglected. And so we get a little bit of tension between those two, but they do have a really nice moment where uh, Mike is like, no, you know, I, I really have missed you. You're my best friend. We need to do this together. Uh, and so I, I did like that moment between those two. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how that plays out. I don't, I don't think that there's anything that's going to happen between Mike and Will, but just the way that that actually unfolds will be interesting to see as well. Um, Jonathan is kind of here <laughs> uh, he's now a stoner there's some really funny moments that play along with that um he does reveal i think it's the second episode that you know the tension with nancy and the way he's kind of been distancing himself has been that they were planning to go to college together however jonathan doesn't want to leave his family and he doesn't want to make nancy choose between pursuing her dream and him and i think this is such a realistic like thing and, and also realistic you know reaction for young people to be having you know he's avoiding this conversation he's scared of, of being honest and putting her in a position that you know she has to make a decision and i think it's very realistic so i like that i what i don't i guess i don't like is that they really don't have much else for jonathan to do he is there um and he just kind of guide he, he's very much still like big brother to whale and to mike uh when they do get into the situation where they're having to flee the house and, and, and try and, you know, get some wheels in motion to get back to Hawkins and, and help everyone out. But beyond that, there's really not much else. Argyle. Uh, Argyle's another new character. Pure comic relief. Um, he is Jonathan Stoner buddy. Uh, he, I, I, another welcome addition, I think, that he brings a little bit of levity. This is a darker, heavier season. Um, so having that really kind of sprinkled in, uh, helps a lot. Uh, there's a nice moment where they are going to um, Utah to Susie's house, Dustin's girlfriend, who we saw in season three. Uh, there's a really awkward moment where Will is like singing the never ending story uh, as a callback to that, which is like an iconic moment um, in pop culture, really. Uh, if the Stranger Things never ending story in season three. But then they go because Susie is like this genius hacker. They foreshadowed it a little bit, which she changes Dustin's grade in the first episode. They need her help in order to find where Eleven is training so that they can meet back up with her. And Argyle ends up having a crush on one of Susie's sisters, Eden, uh, which is just another fun little interaction there as well. Uh, and, and that, I think for the most part, is, is our California crew um, and what's been going on there. We do also see, obviously, Joyce and um, then Murray uh, in California, but they definitely fall more in line with the Russia storyline, which I'm going to jump into here. So I thought this was really cool. I, at the end of season three, I kind of just assumed that uh, Hopper had like been teleported to Russia. Uh, and I don't know if everyone had that same impression or not, but that was kind of what I had thought because we didn't really see anything. I think you're meant to believe that he died at first, but then obviously with the, the post credit scene, the scene that came after um, showing him that he's alive, 
my brain kind of just shifted to, oh, well, he teleported to Russia because this, these were Russian scientists doing these experiments and all of that. But that wasn't the case. We actually get a chance to see through flashbacks what actually happened and how he ended up in Russia, uh, how he you know, was kind of knocked out by this explosion. He's found by the Russian military and scientists. Um, they bring him back and they interrogate him and ultimately end up sending him to this like prison work camp. And that's where we see him, you know, with the shaved head and everything at the end of season three. And so we see, you know, kind of his existence there and in his plans for escaping as well. That's kind of the whole Russia storyline. Um, we see him befriend uh, Dimitri, who is a prison guard, um, and he works with him to get a message to Joyce. Joyce recruits Murray to, to try and figure this out. And um, they also have this uh, this other guy, Yuri, who's in Alaska, who's ultimately he's a pilot is supposed to be getting Hopper to uh, back to America. And so that's the plan. Obviously, does not go according to plan. Um, where Yuri is, uh, I literally, I just had, he's, he's a jerk. Uh, <laughs> he, he's like Murray um, in that he's kind of a little eccentric, but he's just like, he's way more eccentric and he is a jerk and, and you don't like him. And he double crosses them, um, gets Dimitri thrown into jail um, alongside Hopper now too. So they have to have a new plan. Well, the, the new plan is not only escaping the prison, but they also have to escape from the Demigorgon that the Russians have and they've been feeding prisoners to. Um, and so obviously Hopper has experience fighting these things and he is able to formulate a new plan. So Joyce and Murray are, are, are um, taken prisoner by Yuri. Uh, I, there's this really interesting development of Murray's character uh, where he is a black belt in martial arts. Uh, you're not meant to take it seriously because of the way he's describing it. Like he, you know, beat a, a 16 year old in, in uh, a sparring session or something. Um, and then he's like, you know, he's trying to intimidate Yuri at one point and he's, he's like, my fingers are arrows. My arms are iron. My feet are spears. And it's kind of like his battle cry. And you're not supposed to, you know, you're not taking him seriously and neither is Yuri. And he ultimately, you know, gets the upper hand because he, Murray is kind of a secret badass apparently. Um, and I thought that was, it was really funny. I think he is an interesting character. I really like that actor. Uh, he's in, he has a role on another Netflix series, um, called love. Uh, it's actually created by Judd Apatow. It stars, uh, Paul Rudd, not Paul Rudd, Paul Rust and, um, Gillian Jacobs from community. And I, Huge fan of the show. If you like romantic comedies, if you're a Judd Apatow fan, it has that flavor kind of sprinkled throughout. But he plays like a radio DJ on that show, and he's kind of like a jerk, but not like a not a complete jerk. Um, that actor does a, a really good job. So that's a, just a little bit of a side there. But ultimately, I, I don't know that there's a whole lot of substance to this Russia storyline. I understand it's necessary. And I understand, you know, it's a little bit more tension and drama that was created at the end of the last season. But I think I, you know, I, I just didn't get enough from it to really feel like, oh, this is, you know, something I'm really fully invested in. Like, obviously, I wanted, you know, th there was stakes involved and I was a little bit anxious about whether Hopper is going to be able to make it or, you know, how they were going to get out of it. But like, you know, I, I guess I never really doubted that, you know, they were going to be able to get out of it. And uh, I, I, I just. That's one of the weaker parts of this season for me, I guess, is what I would say. Um, and then so moving on, the, the kind of last 
storyline last area location is the Hawkins lab. And I had mentioned it earlier where they kind of bookend these first seven episodes with the Hawkins lab story storyline. So we get the flashback that seemingly shows that 11 as a little little baby 11 that we saw in Stranger Things 1, where they have this kind of digital recreation of her. It's not quite Uncanny Valley levels, but it just seems a little bit off. I also like later on when they do like she's training through her memories of, of that. She is represented by her present day self, and, and sometimes it like flashes between her as a, as a child and her as her present day self. And it like she looks, I guess, similar enough with like her shaved head and everything that it's kind of confusing because it's like it's just like a miniature version of her. And anyway, anyway, um, so yeah, we're meant to believe that Eleven actually killed all of the other like the test subjects. You know, she's number 11, that there's other ones. Um, I believe there's more than 11. She wasn't like the last one because I think Brenner is talking to 12 in the beginning. And so she's kind of traumatized by this memory. And so so that's like how they start off the season. And then they go back because now Dr. Owens shows up to help 11 after she um, was arrested. And like, you know, he was confronted by like the agency that's trying to take her down. And. He takes her to uh, Project Nina out in the desert, a lab there where she can train to get her powers back. And I actually think it's very interesting, like, you know, how Brenner is there and Dr. Brenner's back. And I think Eleven gives a very, it has a very realistic reaction to that. Like she is obviously very traumatized by this man. And so she does not trust him. And she, I, I think, understandably, doesn't trust Owens enough to trust you know, Brenner through him, you know, and, and I think her reaction trying to run away and get away from it makes a lot of sense, but she still also doesn't have her power. So she is quickly, you know, captured, brought back and they kind of, you know, coerce her, you know, basically force her to, to, you know, buy into this and to trust him somewhat, at least as they, you know, work towards the same goal of getting her, her powers back so that they can take down Vecna. And I think it's kind of interesting. I think you get a little bit more Brenner character. You know, he's he's very cold, but there's a, sometimes where he seems like kind of very, you know, paternal, but not really because then he's like electrocuting people and it's just like super harsh and, and cold. And I, I just don't know what to make of that character. So I guess I'm curious what what ends up happening with him. Um, he could be another one that might not make it through. Uh, this season, I could very much see that happening, especially with, uh, you know, the big reveal that this orderly that was kind of helping Eleven in this flashback uh, that she ultimately frees um, to try and help him as well. He's actually number one and he's uh, Victor Creel's son. I believe it's Henry Creel. And he framed his father for uh, his sister and mother's murders. He murdered them himself, obviously super gruesome. Um, then he was captured and studied by Brenner, who then tried to recreate um, these other kids with these superpowers. And that's kind of where this whole project comes from, where Eleven ultimately came from. And so very interesting. I didn't see this coming, but I do think it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, thematically, I also think as like a big grand kind of final villain, uh, going back to where it all begins makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I had heard that the Duffer Bros had actually written written out the like you know the beginning and the ending of this story and i think that makes a lot of sense because i think this is a very clear you know ending 
for the series. And I think you they obviously had the room to kind of fill things in in the middle. But I think this makes sense as kind of like a full circle type of thing. You know, she's number 11. She's not the only one. Um, there was obviously an original. And I think this being Creel, the original as Vecna, and it's just like super evil makes a lot of sense. Um, so the other thing we kind of see is Eleven gets, you know, she actually goes back and listens to, you know, the advice that uh, I'm, I'm going to say Vecna. I'm just going to call him Vecna now at this point that had given her. And that was to find a moment in her past to like give her power and to strengthen her. And she uses that to take him down. And ultimately she sends him to the upside down. Like, and that's the first gate is I, I believe she opens the first gate to the upside down kind of creates this whole thing. And I, I don't know if she creates the upside down or if she just opens that gate and, and creates that connection between Hawkins and the upside down, but she then sends him Vecna in t- through the gate. He's electrocuted and like becomes the Vecna that we know at this point. And this is really interesting. I, I'm really curious to see. Obviously, it sets up, you know, big things to happen in these last two episodes. I'm really curious to see what happens. Uh, I, I know there's another season like the, the series. The final season is is coming after this. It's going to be the fifth season. So this isn't the finale of the series. And that leads me to believe that they're going to do something like, a you know, an Empire Strikes Back type of situation here where I don't think everything's going to be nice and wrapped up and we're going to be feeling like, you know, very accomplished and like we we save the day type of thing at the end of this season, because that's kind of what they've done with the first three seasons. Right. It's been like a one season arc where they have a villain, they have to take him down by the end. They've kind of settled things. I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think it'd be hard to top Vecna now as a villain. So I don't think that they're going to be able to do that for uh, a fifth season. I think what's more likely to happen is that we're actually going to see our heroes, you know, down and out at the end of this season. I think we're going to probably see some deaths. I think it's been kind of teased just in some of the comments that the cast have said, if not outright said, like, you know, people are going to get killed off. But I think that, you know, there have been comments about, uh, you know, you probably have to, you know, we'd like to see some more stakes. Like people involved with the show have said things like this. And so I think it makes a lot of sense. I think in these next couple episodes to wrap up this season that we might see a couple deaths. We're going to see them kind of down and out and having to figure out how to fight back. And I think that'll lead us into the final season, season five. And I'm totally on board with that for sure. Overall, I definitely have liked this first part of season four. I'm I'm excited to see how they finish things. Uh, and I think that that will it'll be really interesting, you know, regardless of how they do it. I, I think it'll be really interesting. And I'm just expecting it to be more of that Empire Strikes Back situation for sure. I, I do think that. You know, it's tough because I have about a month left from here, a little under a month um, before those episodes release at the time of this recording. And, you know, I think that Netflix, some of their shows have really just outgrown this binge model. Um, in particular, this one, I, I think, has not. It's no longer conducive to that um, because I think you could realistically have done this like a weekly episode, you know, over a few weeks. And then we get to kind of live in that storyline for a while. And then we're not just sitting there for a month, you know, kind of itching to get back into it um, or, you know, waiting for three years like we were from, you know, July of 2019 to this now. So I think that would have worked. But, you know, it's a small, 
small thing because it is exciting just to have the show back. Um, my biggest thing is probably just that I think there there's too many storylines uh, and I don't know that they really perfected how to get us invested in all of those storylines all at once. Um, I think there's just kind of too much going on for us to fully invest ourselves in all these storylines. I think the Hawkins one is a must. I think the Hawkins lab is is super important for the backstory as much as I, I really felt like they kind of took me away from the rest of of the show when those moments came up and was a little slower. I think the reveal at the end kind of made up for it. So I think, you know, while I understand the Russia and the California parts, I think, you know, one of those probably could have been condensed a little bit more. Um, so we weren't pulled away from, from the other ones, other uh, storylines quite as often. I think we, you know, we love being in Hawkins. I think that's the biggest thing with this, this series. And so, Having spent more time there and felt more of the stakes there, having more characters there would have been nice. Um, it's just my my one little nitpick there. Um, but overall, really, really enjoyed what they did with these uh, first seven episodes. So that's my review of Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 1, the first seven episodes of the season. Um, we're going to keep this kind of horror train rolling next week with uh, my review of The Quarry, uh, which is a video game that is dropping this week. It is from the creators of Until Dawn, uh, which I absolutely love that game. It, it's like playing through a horror movie um, in a video game it is the best way I could describe it. Like they have real actors. They have their likenesses in the game. Um really fun so i i'm super excited about that it comes out this week i'm gonna play through and then share my thoughts uh next week for our review episode um definitely check it out i, I would highly rec recommend even just looking at the imdb page for the quarry um because there are a ton of recognizable actors in this um so if you look at that page you're gonna see a bunch of people that you recognize might be enough for you to to pick up the game if you've um you know, it's not already on your radar. It might be something that that deserves a spot on that radar for sure, uh, because not only are they they're recognizable actors, there's also some actors with some serious horror credentials, um, most notably like David Arquette, who plays Dewey in the Scream series, and uh, also Lynn Shay, who you will definitely recognize uh, from the Insidious series. She's like the older lady um, in those movies who just absolutely amazing in those so i'm super excited about this this is like i think they're framing it as kind of like i haven't done a whole lot of research into it because i kind of want to just go in blind and enjoy it but i know it's like the setup is it's a summer camp with camp counselors so i'm expecting maybe kind of like a slasher feel but until dawn had a little bit of a twist on it too so super excited about that game and uh definitely going to be one you want to check out if you are a horror fan after that, we do have episode 209 of the main show that's going to be coming out. And that's actually going to focus on the uh, the big Summer Games Fest announcements. Uh, so keeping the gaming train rolling after next week. Um, and so we're going to focus on the well, Sony's state of play actually has already happened at the time of this recording. Uh, but then also this week, we have the Summer Games Fest presentation. And then we also have the Xbox and Bethesda showcase. So I'm going to bring back some familiar faces, some familiar guests to get all gamer geeky with me and uh, react to some of those awesome announcements and talk about what we've got to look forward to in the future. So um, definitely not one you'll want to miss as well if you are plugged into the gaming landscape for sure. But yeah, that's uh, th that's going to do it for our episode today. I just want to give you one last reminder. If you've not 
uh, yet rated, reviewed, liked, subscribed, followed the show, uh, please consider doing so. Still really small. So every single one of those actions helps out immensely and it means a lot to me. So uh, if you take the time to do that, I really appreciate it. For those of you that already have, thank you so much. Um, like I said, every little action, it just ends up being meaning so much to me. It just puts a smile on my face. So uh, yeah, keep up with us and we will see you next time.